0: Chapter eighteen of the Daughter of a Magnate by Frank Spearman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter eighteen Daybreak Crouching under the mountains in the grip of the storm, Medicine Bend slept battened in blankets and beds. All night at the Wickiup, O'Neill and Giddings gray with anxiety were trying to keep track of Glover's special it was the only train out that night on the mountain division for the first hour or two they kept tab on her with little trouble but soon reports began to falter or fail and the dispatchers were reduced at last to mere rumors they dropped boards ahead of special ten eighteen only to find to their consternation that she was passing them unheeded once at least they knew that she herself had slipped by a night station unseen oftener with blanched faces they would hear of her dashing through an apparition past a frightened operator huddled over his lonely stove a spectral flame shot across the fury of the sky as if the dread night breathing on the scrap pile and the grave had called from other nights and other storms a wraith of riven engines and slaughtered men to one last phantom race with death and the wind within two hours of division headquarters a train ran lost lost as completely as if she were crossing the sweet grass plains on pony trails instead of steel rails not once but a dozen times mcgraw and glover Pawning their lives left the cab with their lanterns in a vain endeavor to locate a station a siding a rock numbed and bitten at last with useless exposure they cast effort to the wind gave the engine like a lost horse her head and ran through everything for headquarters and life consultation was abandoned worry put away one good chance set against every other chance and taken in silence. At five o'clock that morning, dispatchers and night men under the wicki gabies, sitting moodily around the big stove, sprang to their feet together. From up the distant gorge, dying far on the gale, came the long chime blast of an engine whistle. It was the lost special. They crowded to the windows to dispute and listen. Again the heavy chime was sprung, and a second blast, lasting and defiant, reached the wickiup. McGraw was whistling for the upper yard, and the long night of anxiety was ended. Unable to see a car length into the storm howling down the yard, save where the big arc lights of the platform glared above the semaphores, the men swarmed to the windows to catch a glimpse of the belated engine. When the rays of its electric headlight pierced the western night, they shouted like boys, ran to the telephones, and while the roundhouse, the superintendent, and the master mechanic were getting the news, the special engine steamed slowly into sight through the whirling snow and stopped at the semaphore. So a liner shaken in the teeth of a winter storm, battered by heading seas, and swept by stiffening spray, rides at last, ice-bound, staggering, majestic, into port. The moment they struck the mountain path into the bin, McGraw and Glover caught their bearings by the curves, and Glover, standing at Gertrude's elbow, told her they were safe not until he had laughed into her ear something that the silent mcgraw lying on his back under the engine with a wrench when he confessed he never expected to see medicine ben again had said of her own splendid courage did the flood spring from her eyes when glover added that they were entering the gorge and laughingly asked if she would not like to sound the whistle for the yard limits She smiled through tears and gave him her hand to be helped down, cramped and chilled from her corner. At the moment that she left the cab, she faltered again. McGraw stripped his cap from his head as she turned to speak. She took from the breast of her blouse her watch, dainty as a jewel, and begged him to take it, but he would not. She drew her glove and stripped from her finger a ring. "'This is for your wife,' she said, pressing it into his hand. "'I have no wife.' "'Your sister.' "'Nor sister.' "'Keep it for your bride,' she whispered, retreating. "'It is yours. Good-bye.' She sprang from the gangway to Glover's arms in the snow the storm drove piteously down the bare street as she clung to his side and tried to walk the half block to the hotel the wind even for a single minute was deadly to face no light no life was anywhere visible he led her along the lee of the low street buildings and mindful of the struggle it was to make headway at all "'turned half between her and the wind "'to give her the shelter of his shoulders, "'halting as she stumbled to encourage her anew. "'He saw then that she was struggling "'in the darkness for breath, "'and without a word he bent over her, "'took her up like a child and started on, "'carrying her in his arms. "'If he frightened her, she gave no sign.' She held herself for an instant uncertain and aloof, though she could not but feel the heavy draught she made on his strength. The wind stung her cheeks. Her breath caught again in her throat, and she heard him implore her to turn her face, to turn it from the wind. He stumbled as he spoke, and as she shielded her face from the deadly cold, one hand slipped from her muff. Reaching around his head, she drew his storm cap more closely down with her fingers. When he thanked her, she tried to speak and could not. But her glove rested an instant where the wind struck his cheek. Then her head hid upon his shoulder, and her arms wound slowly and tightly around his neck. He kicked open the door of the hotel with one blow of his foot and set her down inside. In the warm, dark office, breathing unsteadily, they faced each other. Can you, Gertrude, marry that man and break my heart? He caught up her two hands with his words. No, she answered brokenly. Are you sure you're not frozen, ears or cheeks or hands? You won't marry him, Gertrude, and break my heart. Tell me you won't marry him. "'No, I won't. Tell me again. Shall I tell you everything? If you have mercy for me, as I have love for you.' I ran away from him tonight. He came out with the directors and telegraphed he would be at the springs in the afternoon for his answer, and I ran away. He has his answer long ago, and I would not see him. "'Brave girl!' Oh, I wasn't brave. I was a dreadful coward. But I thought, what? I could be brave if I found as brave a man as you. Gertrude, if I kiss you, I never can give you up. Do you understand what that means? I never in life or death can give you up, Gertrude. Do you understand me? She was crying on his shoulder oh yes i understand and he heard from her lips the maddening sweetness of his boy name i understand she sobbed i don't care Ab. if only you will be kind to me it was only a moment later her head had not yet escaped from his arm for glover found for the first time that it is one thing to give leave to kiss a lovely woman and wholly another to get the necessary action on the conscious-stricken creature. She had not yet, I say, escaped when a locomotive whistle was borne from the storm faintly in on their ears. To her it meant nothing, but she felt him start. What is it? she whispered. The plows. The plows? The snow plows that followed us. Twenty minutes behind. Twenty minutes between us and death, Gertrude, in that blizzard. Think of it. That must mean we are to live. The solemn thought naturally suggested, to Glover at least, a resumption of the status quo, but as he was locating in the dark, there came from behind the stove a mild cough. The effect on the construction engineer of the whole blizzard was to that cough as nothing. Inly raging, he seated Gertrude. Indeed, she sunk quite faintly into a chair, and starting for the stove, Glover dragged from behind it Solomon Battershall. "'What are you doing here?' demanded Glover savagely. "'I'm night clerk Mr. Glover. Ah, "'Night-Clerk?' "'Very well, Solomon,' muttered Glover grimly. Take this young lady to the warmest room in the house at once. Every room's full, Mr. Glover. Trains were all tied up last night. Then show her to my room. Your room's occupied. My room occupied, you villain? What do you mean? Throw out whoever's in it instantly. Mr. Brock is in your room. Gertrude had come over to the stove. Mr. Brock? My father? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Gertrude and Glover looked at one another. Mr. Blood brought him up last night, said Solomon. Where's Mr. Blood? He hasn't come up from the wickiup. They said he was worried over a special from the cat that was caught in the blizzard. Your laundry came in all right last night, Mr. Glover. Hang the laundry. I paid for it. Will you cease your gabble? If Mr. Blood's room is empty, take Miss Brock up there. "'and rouse a chambermaid instantly to attend her. "'Do you hear? "'Shall I throw out Mr. Brock? "'Let him alone, stupid. "'What's the matter with the lights? "'The wires are down. "'Get a candle for Miss Brock. "'Now will you make haste?' Solomon, when he heard the name, stared at Miss Brock. "'But when he recognized her, he started without argument "'and was gone an unconsciously long time.' They sat down where they could feast on each other's eyes in the glow of the coal stove. You have looked so worried all night, said Gertrude, in love's solitude. Were you afraid we should be lost? No, I didn't intend we should be lost. What was it? What is it that makes you so careworn? Nothing special. But you mustn't have secrets from me now. What is it? You want to know? Yes. I couldn't find time to get shaved before we left Sleepy Cat. She rose with both hands uplifted. Shades of vain heroes! Have I wasted my sympathy all night on a man who has been saving my life with perfect calmness and worrying because he couldn't get shaved? Can you dispassionately say I don't need barbering? "'No, but this is what I will say, silly fellow. "'You don't know much about a woman's heart, do you, Ab? "'When I first looked at you, "'I thought you were the homeliest man I had ever seen. "'Do you know that?' "'Glover fingered his offending chin "'and looked at her somewhat pathetically. "'But last night,' her quick mouth was so eloquent, "'last night I watched you... I saw your face lighted by the anger of the storm. I knew then what those heavy, homely lines below your eyes were for. Strength. And I saw your eyes, to me so dull at first, wake and filled with such a light, and burn so steadily hour after hour, that I knew I had never seen eyes like yours. I knew you would save me. That is what made me so brave, Goosey. "'Sit right where you are, please.' "'She slipped out of her chair. "'He pursued. "'If you will say such things and then run into the dark corners,' he muttered. "'But when Solomon appeared with a water pitcher, they were ready for him. "'Now what's kept you all this time?' glared Glover insincerely. "'I couldn't find any ice water.' "'Ice water?' "'Every pipe is frozen solid.' But I chopped up some ice and brought that. Ice water, you double-eyed idiot. Go get your candle. Yes, sir. Don't be so cross, whispered Gertrude. You were so short with that poor fireman tonight, and he told me such a pitiful story about being ordered out and having to go or lose his position. Did Foley tell you that? Yes. Surely nerve runs in his family as well as his cousin's. The rascal came because I hung up a little purse for a fireman at the roundhouse, and he nearly had a fight with another fellow that wanted to cut him out of the job. Such a cheat. How much did you offer him? Not very much. But how much? Twenty five dollars, and by heavens he TO me for it just after we started. But his poor wife hung to his neck when he left. No doubt. She's pulled all the hair out of his head twice that I know of, and I gave him my purse with all the money I had in it. How much? About three hundred dollars. Three hundred dollars? Foley will lay off two months and take the whole family back to Pittsburgh. Now here's your candle and chopped ice and Mr. Batter's shawl. Gertrude turned for a last whisper what should you say if papa came down what should i say he would probably say mr glover i have your room don't mention it i should reply i have your daughter but mr brock did not come down barely half an hour later while glover waited with anxiety at the foot of the stairs gertrude reappeared and with her loveliness all new, walked shyly and haltingly down each step toward him. Not a soul about the hotel office had stirred, and Glover led her to the retired little parlor, which was warm and dim, to reassure himself that the fluttering girl was all his own. Unable to credit the fullness of their own happiness, they sat confiding to each other all the sweet trifles, now made doubly sweet of their strange acquaintance. Before six o'clock, and while their seclusion was still their own, a hot breakfast was served to them where they sat, and day broke on storm without and lovers within. End of chapter 18